Pierre Hulsebus. I am the technical seller. That's right. I'm Pierre Hulsebus with over 30 years of direct technology sales experience, and I am here to help you. Yep. During the next 30 minutes or so, you're going to have uh, help. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get your game on, your selling game. I'm going to help you identify, acquire, and retain the most valuable assets you can have which is a customer. That's right. Without them, nothing is going to happen. You're just going to have a club of grumpy people. That's not a business. That's no fun. Who wants to work there? Nobody. Hello. Nothing happens until somebody sells something. It all starts with customers and sadly, oh so sadly, it will come to the end when you don't have any more customers. So whoever dies with the most customers wins that's right that's right if you die with the most customers you can consider yourself a winner that's right all right well what are we going to do today well a couple things i I wanted just to uh if you've been a listener to my podcast in the past you're noticing i'm making a change in the name of the podcast and that's it's just happening uh you know uh i had a the hustle is the hack which you know true uh, but I, I wanted to do a little more focus. So I'm doing a little more focus here uh, around this um, technical sales. It's what I do every day. It's it's my background. And so I thought it'd be, be fun to have a little more time um, just to focus on on that aspect of, of this. And if you're a seller, if you're especially if you're new into the selling game, and I, I've met a lot of you that are just like, out of college or considering sales um, as a business uh, is an adventure for you ahead. Uh, you know, there's always need for really good salespeople. And and so if you're starting out, I thought this would be a good way to start out. So if you're a seasoned veteran, if you're making a million bucks in sales, you know, uh, you know, Grant Cordon or, or, or Jordan Belfry, you don't need me. That's that. You're doing great by yourself. But if you are trying to start a business, if you are uh, own a business and you're trying to do a better job at marketing and selling the products and services that your business has, well, guess what? That's this is for you. This is for you. I am dedicating this to you. All right. So what are we going to do in this uh, right now? We are going to do two things today. We are going to we're going to talk about uh, two two important things. Uh, one of them is I'm going to give you a book to go out and take a peek at, and uh, that's one thing. And then I'm also going to give you a, a topic that uh, is relevant and current and just you know important, rel- uh, relatively important to to success and uh, part of uh, you know lessons that we've learned over the years and uh, you know know love and understand. We've incorporated them into this. So today, we're going to talk about the importance of having a plan to close every sale. That's right. We want to have a, an importance to unlock sales success, the importance of having a close plan, 
having a plan to close every sales call. And generally, and then, so we're going to talk about that, closing sales and planning. Then we're going to talk about a book and I'm going to hold the book out. It's uh, you know, give you, you got to stick around for this. It's uh, well, actually a book from a friend of mine. I've got to meet him and spend some time with him, Paul Greenberg. And uh, so I'm going to give you uh, some insight onto his book and why it's such an important book uh, for folks uh, that are in the sales game. So uh, first thing we're going to do, what are we going to do? I said what we're going to do. We're going to unlock sales success, uh, the importance of having a plan to close every sales call in general. You know, it's a good idea to have a plan for how you will close a sale call before you go into the meeting. Having a clear idea of that goal before the call and plan how you're going to achieve it, that's going to help you stay focused and make the most of your time with that customer. Don't waste their time, right? Um, And don't just make it up as you go along. Uh, I've seen so many folks uh, that that do that, and and you don't want to make it up as you go along, especially if you have a team of people that you're working with. And technical sellers often sell in pairs. You know, we have a sales engineer often that's part of the sales process. We also, on the customer side, have people that are in the room that aren't just a single customer uh, or a single person. We often have multiple people involved in a technical sale. You have engineering from the customer or the IT group or whatever that is. You have the technical buyer and then you have the business decision maker. We like to call them the BDM and the TDM, the business decision maker and the technical decision maker. So you're going to have a bunch of people in the room and maybe you might be the sales engineer or you might be the salesperson, and we'll we'll just call you the business salesperson, and we have the technical salesperson, right? So we've got four people minimum in most of these calls. So you better know when you walk into the door because you want to give them an agenda. You're going to want to give them um, and and yourself be prepared for what you're going to do. And so you don't want to go into that sales call without knowing how you're going to close the meeting. Now, you may have a few different ideas of how the meeting is going to close, but you want to know where you're going to go generally, not, again, making that up as you go along, whether that's directly at the end of the meeting, you're asking for the sale directly. Uh, We'll talk about different closing techniques later, but you might be going right for the close. Often what you're doing is you're going to... um, get into the what's next steps. What's the next thing to do? Technical sales often involves some sort of deployment or or pilot or proof stage that you have to go through to show that the product or the solution that you're going to offer works for them. So with that said, um, you usually have a couple different ways that uh, you know, you're going to do it. So uh, again, never go into that sales call without knowing how you're going to close the meeting. There are a few key things to consider, though, when you're developing that plan to close a sales call. First is know the product. You know, it's important to obviously know the product and have an understanding of the product and the features and the benefit. This is going to allow you to effectively communicate the value of the product to the customer and address their questions or concerns that they're going to have. Understanding the customer's needs, of course, is so critical. It's also important to have a clear understanding of your customer's needs and what they're looking for in a product. So by aligning your product with the customer's needs, you're going to obviously make this really important, compelling case. So this is why this is important to not just know your product 
and know your customers' needs because that's what's going to help you close this meeting because you're going to you're going to know how to connect those dots and you will not want you're going to want to start off with that business value and you're going to want to end with the business value. So in the middle, you talk about your techie stuff. You're going to talk about all the things that the product can do. You might be doing demos or whatever, but you're telling them the value. You're then showing the stuff. Then you're closing with the, the, the meeting with a summary of that value. Again, tying everything back to their needs and business and the value of those needs. So that's a line, you know, you're that's part of the plan. So you need those things when you're developing a, a plan for closing. Now, that list of customer needs, you may need to mo- know more information. You ne- so a follow-up item or an a outcome of that call closing for the next is closing for the next meeting. So um so that is a thing. So one is uh you know, you you know the product and you're qualifying them on the product. That's one outcome of the meeting. That doesn't mean I got a sale. That just means I now know this product fits with this customer or this solution. And look, if you work for, I work for Microsoft. If I walk into a shop and they say, hey, we are an Amazon customer. We are committed to Amazon as our IT strategy. It's a core part of our solution. All of our people are trained on that software. All the products that we have here are based on that. And if I'm coming in with a solution or a product that I'm connecting with that doesn't fit in their ecosystem, I have done a really good job. I am now able to walk away from that sale politely and say, you know, this might to our team and go, we're going to have a different plan, you know. So closing the meeting might be, um, this isn't working out for uh, for us. It's not a good match. We have qualified the customer away and we're going to walk away from the sale. That's why we want to know our product and our market. We want to understand the customer's needs. Does that thing match up to our needs, to the customer's needs? Can we deliver the business value that they need? Again, what we're doing is we're developing that part of the conversation at the beginning to try to figure out if that's a good fit for us. And then we give our team the high sign. We're out of here. This customer um, needs something and we don't have the right thing for their need or they don't understand their needs very well. They just want to see our product without a us, us spending time with them. And, uh, you know, they're just going to maybe beat our competitors up with our <laughs> with our proposal and they're going to bait us in to have us do more work. And there's no hope of a sale here because we don't match their needs. This is an interesting thing. Once you gain experience into this, you actually are better able to tell a customer and qualify them uh, on whether that product would work for them or not than they would. Right. You know it right away. With if it's a fit or not, like if there's an opportunity or not. And I'm not talking about having just happy eyes or happy ears and just go, oh, everybody needs our stuff. No, not everybody will be successful at deploying your stuff. And there's a difference. They may need something that you have to offer. But in the business of technology, it's not just do they have the need and do you have a product that will work? They also have to have the money to deploy it. They have to have a commitment to make it work for them. And uh, you have to have a support organization that can support them. So we find out in the meeting, maybe the customer is going to deploy this in a place that I don't have support staff or it's in a language we don't can't support. Again, I'm looking for ways often 
um, just like the customer is, ways to disqualify. What are all the red flags in here? So identifying that customer need is an outcome of the meeting, right? I did I uh, better understand the outcome of, of their needs. And so I'm walking away with a good, um, you know, kind of qualification, a set of qualifications. I do not want to spend more time with the customer or with the prospect if it's not a good fit, right? Both the product or their needs. And there's just not alignment in there. Um, you know, <laughs> if I'm your sales manager, it's like, Let's move on. Let's let's move on to another, you know, um, invite them to the golf outing next year. Keep them on the mailing list. But uh, we're not going to we're not going to spend a lot more time digging into um, the proposal stage and, and proof stage unless there's some big, compelling interest in it. All right. So the other one that you can do is identifying the decision maker. Right. So an outcome of that meeting about that um, sales call is did I identify the decision makers, as I mentioned, there's several, obviously, several decision makers in a technical sale. There is the technical decision maker. Do I have that person identified? Is there a business decision maker? Who who owns the business process that this IT spend or this technology is going to support? Do 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 I know who that is? They're the the users, so to speak, and the management staff around the users. Um, do I know who's going to write the check, right? Who's going to sign for this million-dollar piece of equipment or million-dollar piece of software? Do I know who that is? And you want to be able to put those on a piece of paper. Who is that? I want to name them by name. It's important to identify who the decision-maker is and make sure you're speaking to them during the sales call using their language. This is the best way and help to ensure that you're able to effectively communicate the value of the product and move the sales process forward. If you don't have know who's signing the check, uh, then you're in trouble, right? You're then you're in trouble. And this happens in techs all the time. Technology sales people get brought in through the IT department. The IT department does maybe have some b- budget approval. But often it's parts of the business that they're automating or parts of the business that they're touching. And ultimately, they're actually the decision makers. And IT just wants to block you and keep you away from that. So if I'm not talking to the business people, the business department that's being impacted by this uh, technology, then it's no good. Then it's no good. If I'm selling, um, you know, uh, like in the software business, you know, if I'm selling business software like accounts payable and receivable software or check management hr software and i'm only talking to the it group i'm not i'm not talking to decision makers right i'm not talking to people that are actually going to use this or going to see the business value um if i'm just talking to the this one happens all the time in selling tech i'm just talking to the purchasing department they got a committee they issued an rfp and uh, it's just going to get scored. I'm just going to just participate in this thing, in this RFP process. So I'm just talking to purchasing. I'm not really actually talking to decision makers unless I understand who those decision makers are and I can bring some influence into that. It's probably not worth us doing the RFP if there's, you know, unless you've got some magic secret sauce, your chances of winning are just relatively random. Um, the the third one on this list here, or I'm sorry, fourth one is to have a clear call to action. 
That's right. It's important to have a clear call to action at the end of the sales call, such as setting the follow-up meeting or asking for the sale. Like I mentioned, having that clear next step can help move the process forward. Obviously, that's going to increase the likelihood of making the sale. Overall, it's important to have a plan and prepare for closing that sales call in order to make the most of the time with the customer and increase the likelihood of making the sale. By understanding your product, the customer's needs, and the decision maker, and having a clear call to action, you can effectively communicate the value of the product and move the process forwards. So here's some good outcomes. Here's a couple good outcomes. One, hey, I get a sale. Woohoo! That's the ultimate goal, obviously, of a sales call. But rarely in technical sales are you going to make a sale on the first call or the second call. Sometimes it, it, it requires, there's a there's a, a sense of meetings and a sense of proof. And there's a process that the customer has to go through to acquire your stuff. And often what makes technical sales different than most every other sale is you need to have what we refer to as a proof stage. The customer needs to figure out, does this thing really work like they said? Whether that's a trial period, whether that is talking to customers like them that have done the same thing, doing a visit to that shop. It's um, it's you spending time um, building a demonstration for them, something like that. But uh, So a sale is great, but often unlikely after the first meeting. There's often follow-up meetings. And so that's one of the ways that you can you know, keep moving the, the, the ball forward. What is that follow-up meeting? Even if the customer isn't ready to the purchase right now, a good outcome is scheduling that follow-up meeting to continue the conversation, more discovery, more things that you find out. Like I'm saying, am I identifying the buyer? We're walking out of the meeting not knowing who the buyer is. So let's set a follow-up meeting to talk to the purchasing department and figure out who the buyer is. And like that's important for us to get their understanding and get their feedback and input. This allows you to keep the sales process moving forward. And a big, 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 big part of selling is the big mo. It is momentum, keeping the momentum thing going. So the other one is a better understanding of the customer's needs. Often discovery is is lacking. We're not doing enough discovery. We're not asking enough questions. We're not going out on the customer shop floor. We're not going onto the road with their technicians. We're not doing the ride-alongs the things that we want to do to better understand their needs. So follow-ups can include and learnings can be a better understanding of their needs. A sales call can be a good opportunity to learn more about their needs and preferences. Listen to the customer, ask the questions. You gain better understanding of what they're looking for in the product, how the product meets their needs. That positive impression sometimes is the other thing that is a important outcome, just a positive impression. Sometimes, um, uh, and uh, some of, it's really interesting. I've done some work with uh, companies that are in Japan. And one of the things I'm so impressed with the way that they do work often is there is a long period of time where they just want to get to know you and they want you to know them and learn their kind of little bit of culture. And when you get there, uh, so a lot of times it's just some social kind of setting. It's meeting with people. It's talking about business in general. And it's not about 
other, you know, let's just get right into business. So sometimes that positive impression is all they need. I, I had a customer one time when I when I was in uh, in, in a company and uh, it, here in town, it was a new company, and the guy um, it was I was selling a CD um, library. Um, a, uh, a, a, a with a robotic arm is like a fifty thousand dollar piece of equipment, and it had it had like you could put a hundred. It was to a law office in the in the in the mid nineties. Um, so these are really expensive. They were super expensive. But what it was is this little law firm. They were starting up, and they would split off from a big fancy law firm. And they were going to really leverage tech as part of their kind of let's say brand. And so what they did was they. They wanted to buy this, this like, uh, this is before kind of internet and online research was done. You could, you would buy a library of all the law books and you could do research. Um, and it had all these, um, this whole computer system with these fancy robotic arm uh, CD players in it. And it was called near online storage. It's very sophisticated technology for the time and really expensive. And uh, we had sold this to several of our customers already. And uh, so when I, when I spoke with this lawyer, the guy who was the head of the office there, he's like, I want to come to your office. And we didn't have anything really fancy. I didn't even have a conference room in that office. I literally just had, um, we had like six offices. It was almost like a used car sales lot. Like our office was, it was weird how it was set up. Anyways, so I had an office um, there, a nice office um, in the in that place with a couch and all that. So I did. I invited him over for coffee and I made sure we had coffee. And it was literally just that was the meeting just to have a positive impression, just to ask him about his business for me to sit behind my desk, have the head law guy sit at his desk. I went back in the room and showed him our tech bench and here's two of our guys and made sure the place was cleaned up really nice. And I showed him our blinking light room we had a we had an internet point of presence there so we were selling internet service so we had a pop there is what they called them back in the day so yeah it's just literally giving them a positive impression there was no sale there was anything like that but it's being more knowledgeable and professional and engaging and being like this is my home territory that level of comfort and confidence that we, we could show that yeah we're in business this is really this is really real you know these are some of our customers see all those computers over there we do stuff and uh, so anyways, it was really interesting. So uh, the other one is sometimes it does result in a referral. And this is um, like if we're in a small business setting, especially if we're in a small business setting and if you're not maybe selling tech all the time, sometimes that results in the customer going, you know, this isn't really maybe for us at the end of that meeting, but they'll say, hey, guess what? I know another company. If you do a good job, I know another company or I have a friend that might be interested in. So a sales call can also be an opportunity to ask for referrals. If the customer is happy with the product or service, or they think you're good and professional, they're going to be willing often to recommend you to others and help you grow your customer base. So overall, you know, those specific outcomes from sales calls depend on the individual circumstances and goals of the call. By focusing on their needs and building a strong relationship, you're setting yourself up for success and achieve that value of a positive kind of a positive outcome that you, you're going to want to have. So, all right. Well, that is that is that. And uh, let's take a let's take a sec here uh, and move over to our next item. What's the next Item up for bid. Uh, what is it? It is, what is it? So let's think about it. It's, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Alarm. What's, 
There we go. That's what I was looking for. Sorry about that. Everybody in their headphones like, what just happened? That's what I was trying to do. Anyways, all right. Now, what we want to talk about next, and uh, as we close out the, the show here, the little moments we have together, we're going to talk about a great book. I've um, uh, been doing these uh, book reviews on kind of more, less book reviews and more, let's say, summaries and just kind of insights into the book and what, what they mean. I'm going to talk about a book that actually I've gotten to meet the author over the years. It's the book called The CRM at the Speed of Light, and it was published in 2001. Paul Greenberg, that's who the author is. He introduced several new customer, let's say, centricity business insights, focusing on how tech and customer focus could really help companies improve profitability by focusing on the customer relationship management as this kind of systematic business discipline and to build systems to support the efforts, okay? So what today we know as CRM in 2001 was kind of a brand new idea for a lot of companies. They didn't have systematic approach or a discipline around customer relationship management. How you did it was you basically had, you just trained people to do be nice to your customers, but you didn't have systems that kept track of customer satisfaction very well, um, the, the tech wasn't there yet for medium and like enterprise type. You only had this at the really high end companies that, that were really able to do this. So, he, uh, during the nineties, there was a big evolution of the tech at the high enterprise levels. And he continued that, um, that, uh, that work, um, in his stuff. There was, uh, several folks that, uh, um, Don Peppers and Martha Rogers, which, uh, we'll probably talk about some of their books later. They had really laid the foundation of much of this thinking and shaped our modern concept of customer relationship management systems, customer experience management, and today what we're calling social selling. So Paul was one of the really early adopters or the let's say the early evangelists, if you will, around this. And uh, he became quite a, and still today is, you know, very in demand, uh, very, um, <clears throat> very well-respected, um, in the field by uh, consultants and software companies and his his insight and understanding is uh, based on you know those 20 uh, oh hell way over that in terms of experience but that book came out over 23 years ago can you imagine? no it's like yeah 23 years ago is when that book came out so that book um, at the time was really groundbreaking work since it was has become one of the most influential books in the CRM software industry and in the CRM consulting industry. You know, like I said, he was heavily um, uh, influencing the business of selling and the teams that support, organize, and manage sales organizations. Uh, it was noted in the industry at the time, and he received a lot of accolades for this book. Is named one of the top 10 business books of the year by Amazon, named Book of the Year by Sales and Marketing Management Magazine. It won the Best CRM Book Award for Cert, from Search CRM, the Top CRM Book by CRM Magazines, the winner of the Best Business Book Awarded from the Society for Technical Communications. You know, Greenberg's argument is that the customer relationships are critical to business success and that this can be achieved through the use of CRM. You know, this assertion challenged the traditional business thinking, which often prioritized short-term gains uh, over that long-term relationship building. Customers were more like a nuisance, if you will, back in the day. 
And uh, so we look to cut costs and to lower the servicing and acquisition costs. And so uh, the insight that was being gained um, by Paul and many other people in the, in the industry at the time was by looking at successful companies are like, they're not doing it that way. They don't look at customers like an interruption to normal. Customers are the asset. That's the thing you want. The product, you can get different products. But if you don't have great customers that are loyal and 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 buying the product and overall revenue is not going to be achievable. So uh, from selecting the appropriate solution to connecting it with other systems to educating the staff on how to use it, that book covered all the bases for a successful CRM rollout. So it was a hot industry at the time. It was really starting. That's when I got my start in CRM consulting. And so this became a Bible for so many of us that kind of, let's say, cut our teeth back then. Greenberg, uh, in that book, uh, gives away uh, a lot of the measurements and effectiveness for making those continuous changes to a CRM system by drawing on, you know, real-world examples of successful deployments and the use of CRM in different industries. Uh, he started noticing kind of the difference between the way you would put CRM systems in, let's say, pharmaceutical sales would be kind of different than the way that you would do it, let's say, if I was selling heavy equipment or something like that. The The book stands out from others because of the importance it places on tech. So if you're in the tech sales and the tech field, that that the, he, he drew the two together. And uh, Greenberg discusses how the business uh, could also use social media and mobile devices and analytical tools to better connect with customers. So the tech was really the thing that was fascinating to him. Uh, he indicated that, you know, at the time, and so today, of course, we're like, of course, well, this is common knowledge. Well, at the time, it wasn't common knowledge. And he was really a prophet, if you will. A lot of people call him the godfather of CRM because this book was so influential. CRM is not just a one-time project. It's an ongoing process of continuous improvement and refinement. That's what he said. In today's world, he also said, customers demand more than just good products and services. They want a personalized experience that reflects their individual needs and preferences. Uh, he broke it down into seven different sections. One is just understanding CRM, like that kind of executive summary at the time. A lot of people didn't know what CRM meant. That CRM framework, what's the plan for implementing a CRM system at a company, defining that experience, selecting the appropriate tech, determining the level of how you, you know turn, um, achieve success. Paul was an early, early guy in getting into, and he talked about this in one of the chapters, um, kind of section number three, the social customer. That that explored the whole impact that social media has had on uh, customer interactions. And, you know, think about it, 2001, this is before Amazon, or right when Amazon was first starting to come out. And he had posited theories early on listening to him at different conferences and it wasn't really until, you know, 2008, 2009, where a lot of research was really being done, like good uh, methodical research, research. And the insight evolved over the years, but I've heard him speak on this topic many times. He highlights the research into customer trust. Um, according to Edelman's Barometer of Trust, customers began trusting online reviews more than expert opinions around 2009, 2010. That shift in trust can be attributed to the rise of social media and the increasing availability of customer reviews on websites like Yelp and Amazon and TripAdvisor. 
that trend continued to grow. And today, online reviews are really the most influential factor in a customer's decision-making process, especially in the business-to-consumer space. And he indicated that based on the new data, B2B selling organizations really need to leverage customer relationship tech to improve their customer relationships with customers and enhance the customer's experience. CRM systems, you know, he was indicating help businesses keep track of customer interactions, analyze the data, and then really help personalize that communication. That goes back to that Peppers and Rogers, the called one-to-one selling that concept that I can use tech to figure out the profile of a customer and I can curate a specific experience for a customer, uh, getting to know them better through interacting with them. You know, that, that was a promise. And, and man, they, we have dialed that in today to the point where, you know, some platforms are so like it's so well understanding. <laughs> it's keeping people addicted to their use like TikTok or Instagram, some of these other things. Social media really revolutionized the way that companies interact with customers and provide new opportunities for engagement and relationship building is what he said. So yeah, he was a really interesting um, observer of the impact of social in um, business decision-making and CRM systems. Now, he also broke it down, um, which I really appreciated because that was where my space was, CRM in the enterprise. He explored how customer relationship management can be applied to an enterprise level. So that was the other part that was really interesting. A lot of companies like were ha- not having a problem doing you know, very personalized connections because small shops like know their customers by name and repeatability and loyalty is gained almost at an emotional and personal level. To try to replicate that in an enterprise is really difficult. Well, you know, that's that's what he, he talked a lot about in that book is um, trying to address those obstacles and look for opportunities that come along using that basic methodology. He talked about analytics and business intelligence. That chapter discussed the role that analytics and business intelligence play in customer relationship management. Now, today, it's so sophisticated at the time, it was like tables and just reports. It was a little fancier than than Excel. And now uh, where we're at today with business intelligence and analytics is, is mind-blowing, uh, this kind of sense of predictions of what's the next thing that people have. He was talking about this before. Think about it, right? When Amazon was just starting in 2001, this idea that you could kind of have a better insight using tech into what customers are going to buy. I mean, that's what that's what built the house. <laughs> that's the house that Amazon built, basically. So um, he also was an early adopter of the, really talking about collaborative CRM, the importance of collaboration in customer relationships, which is so critical, right? That key element that we have customers calling in and we have customers that uh, are sold products and then later on they call and they have that service experience or they go into the front of the store, the bank, let's say the teller, and they just got a mortgage from the guy down, the, you know, three cubicles down and just spent, you know, half a million bucks on a house and the bank teller has no idea how to treat them, doesn't look at them, looks at their bank deposit and says, ah, oh, they, they don't have a big deposit. So they aren't very nice to them. So, you know, CRM and customer engagement is a team sport. And he really, uh, and today, obviously, we're seeing the the results of that. At the time, you had 
um, some tech that was inside of the CRM systems uh, that, you know, let you keep notes in the concept of that 360 degree view of a customer. Those were built into the CRM systems as a result of these observations. Implementing CRM, you know, as he said, it's not a one-time project. It's an ongoing process. That last chapter offers a real set of actionable guidance on how to implement customer relationship management systems in a company. This is, again, why it was such a cool Bible for us, um, including those um, to choose the right software, gave you the like training and evaluating the effectiveness of the program. You know, Paul, he popularized that notion that it's just an ongoing process. That um, this kind of sense of customer centrality and the focus on the growth um, should be driving much of how the sales and customer-facing organization drives value and, cost- and, and the culture at the company. So, you know, it's just not a one-time thing and, and implementing it is just as important as picking the right tool. In fact, in fact, studies now show that that actually, the implementation is more important often than the impact of the tech. So they, you know, if I, if I can, I can get the greatest tech in the world, but if I'm not doing a good job at change management and deploying it and aligning it with how we work, uh, then, you know, or aligning our work with how the tools work and bringing, you know, a sense of like moving forward and, and including everybody along for the ride, um, you know, not creating that customer centric culture, you know, you're just doomed to fail. You're just doomed to fail. And so you could have the greatest tool in the world. I mean, we all know this, right? If I have, if I, if I go out and buy the coolest car in the neighborhood and then go drive around the corner and crash it, you know, how good is that car? You know, how good is the fancy car if I don't know how to drive it? And this is the, I mean, we know that implementation is more important than the tool. Uh, there's been four editions of this book over the years, and it remains to be, you know, a set of guiding principles. Uh, that's why it's still relevant today. CRM at the Speed of Light um, is that book, and uh, it's widely regarded as one of the most comprehensive guides to CRM deployments. So his thoughts and ideas continue to have impact on businesses and sales team all across the world and uh, he's been, he actually does a lot of consulting. Like I said, I, I've got to meet him over the years and seen him speak at different conferences. Um, and uh, I, I have a lot of respect for him. And it started here. It started when I was a, a young buck uh, just getting into uh, the CRM consulting game. And uh, boy, this just became a good one. So I'd encourage you if you haven't read it, um, there's a link on my on the blog for that. Just uh, you know, go right to uh, Amazon. You can pick one up, brand new or used. I think Paul would probably want you to buy a new one. Uh, but, but if you if you if you want to buy it used, that's fine. Anyways, well, that's it. That's it. I hope you have a great day. Uh, again, my name is uh, Pierre Holsebus, and this is the Technical Seller. And I hope you have a great day. And we. We'll talk to you really soon. Thank you.